0: everybody. Uh, as you heard, my name is Rachel Hersher. Uh, I am pregnant, and that is why I have this bucket. I'm just kidding. That's not why. Uh, we are past the season of um, puking. Praise God. Uh, praise God. For those of you who have not been pregnant, well, there's probably a lot of you in the room who have not been pregnant. Um, first trimester, man. Yee-haw, what an adventure, you know what I'm saying? Um, But hey, it's great to be here. Beautiful faces, faces I don't know, what's up? You have a great hat. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, But yeah, a little bit about me. I'm on staff with Jamie Yukayafa. It's my third year on staff, and it is so fun, I love it. As you heard, that man right there is my husband. We have created a child. That's kind of what happens. If you didn't know that, we can talk about it after service. But um, we're having a boy, and his name is Zion. Um, So you guys can pray for him, like by name if you want. Um, But yeah, Zion Joshua Hersher. It's a solid, strong name. Um, But it's so fun, you know? It's crazy. During worship, I was feeling him move around a little bit. um, And it's really interesting because in this season, uh, we talk a lot about how, well, we're in this series called Kingdom Things, the kingdom of God. We're experiencing something that's now but also not yet. And I am experiencing the now and not yet like no other. Because, like, Zion, he's in the room. Like, he is in the room. He is like four pounds he's like 18 inches long he can hear my voice i feel him move and like he's with you guys too we're like we're all in this together you know but he's not like here like i don't know what eye color he has i don't know like his personality like i know that he kicks really hard (laughs) but uh, it makes me need to pee like three times in the night but um (laughs) But what I know is very limited. Um, And so this is kind of the the now and not yet. Um, Yeah, come on. But um, I think Zion is gonna be a soccer player because of how hard he kicks. Um, I don't know about you guys, but Josh and I really love um, soccer. We played growing up, and we both really enjoyed watching the World Cup. Did you got anyone in the room? Yes, enthusiastic hands, love it. And oh my gosh, the final, right? The final is probably one of the best World Cup finals in history, I'd love to see another game one up it with overtime and like, you're seeing Messi, who is just like, Messi in the most clean way, you know what I'm saying? Um, And so the conversation with Josh that like, that came out of it was like, Dude, Messi's the GOAT, right? Even seeing him play against Mbappe, Messi without, like, it's he's the GOAT. I think I got a picture of him. He's got a yellow background. Oh, oh, there he is. <laughs> yeah, no, but tonight, oh, I forgot about that part. I'm not looking at my notes. Tonight we're gonna talk about the GOAT. And so, oh, man. meh. But um, yeah. I mean, look at him. He just looks tough. He looks like he's gonna, like, meg you in a second. Um, But yeah, we have these people that we know of that are the GOAT. We love conversations about the GOAT. For for, uh, basketball, is it, who is it? Is it Michael or is it LeBron? We could talk about this for hours. Well, some people could. I couldn't because I don't know anything. Um, For um, football, is it Brady or Montana? It's Brady. It's Brady. For baseball, I feel like baseball is pretty easy. It's definitely Babe Ruth, the great Bambino. Like, he's pretty fire, you know, with his records. Um, Do you guys know about Wayne Gretzky? Why are you doing, he's the best. Yeah. (laughs) Wayne Gretzky, um, I did a lot of research on the goat and not just the farm animal, but like, apparently Wayne is like above and beyond. Um, I personally like Rocky but he doesn't count. So Muhammad Ali really takes it up for boxing. You know what I'm saying? Like there are these iconic pictures. You could probably get a poster at the poster fair. I think they still do those on campus. Um, But anyway, so like when we think about the goat, We think about, like, brilliance, and we think about, like, their their genius in sports, and their skill, and their discipline, and, like, even leadership skills, and all these different things, and we're like, man, the goat, the goat's so cool, like, even after this, I'm sure conversations about the GOAT will happen. We can talk about in classes, in in dining halls, like it's a conversation that takes over like offices, like anyone talks about the GOAT. I probably don't talk about the GOAT in sports. I talk about the GOAT in other things, but I don't know about you guys, there is always this inner desire to be the GOAT. You know what I'm saying? Like, even I, when I was a little girl, I wanted to play professional soccer. I, that was not gonna happen. Josh, he wanted to be a professional football player. His parents never let him play football, so that dream was a little out of reach. (laughs) But, (laughs) I mean, it could still happen, you know, maybe. Um, But anyways, it's like highly coveted. And even if we can't do it on like, on a court or a sports field or anything like it we want to be like the goat in our classroom we want to have the highest gpa if not that we want to look the best in the gym if it's not that we want to be like the most intelligent in our family if it's not that we want to be the wealthiest like there are all these things and even if it's not that we just want to be the goat to somebody right like we we want to have someone look at us and be like you are the greatest of all time like you fulfill that Mm, you know what i'm saying like we all have this desperation to be the goat and the hilarious part is that this is not an old conversation maybe the acronym is new but like people have been talking about the goat for like years like lots and lots of years. And so tonight, we're gonna talk about the goat. And yes, Jesus is the goat, but we're gonna talk about some other goats. Um, Not of the farm (laughs) category. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I feel like I have to keep prefacing that because the goat was so cute. Um, But anyway, so as you guys know, we are in the series on kingdom things, and we are discussing the parables of Jesus. So what are the parables? Here is a little review. Um, Parables are short stories, but they're a lot more than stories. Sometimes they carry a moral lesson, and they teach us about things, but... The way Jesus used them was for so much more. He used parables to talk about Him and His kingdom, to, and how He was bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Uh, we will be in Matthew 18 tonight. So, if you'd like to, you can turn your Bibles. You can turn to your Bibles there. If you need a Bible, throw up your hand, and Julia would be happy to get one for you. You can even keep it yeah. if you want it free stuff all right well let's pray and then we'll talk about the the goat all right Jesus we just bless you we invite you into the space God we we take a moment to be aware of your presence God that um we don't just want my words, God. I pray that it's not my words, God, but I pray that you would help me to, to be aware of your presence, King Jesus. Lord, that our hearts would be softened before you and that, um, that we would be just ready to receive your word and all that you have. In Jesus' name we say amen. All right, starting Matthew 18, 1. Just getting into the question. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Straight out the gate, they are talking about the goat. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus? Um, once again, this is, not a com- this is not a new conversation to us, but this is also not a new conversation to them. This was something that as you look through the gospels, the disciples are constantly bickering like little schoolgirls, about who's the greatest, who is Jesus' favorite, what is going on. And part of why this conversation was so fruitless is because they had such a bad understanding of what the kingdom of God was going to be at this point. Um, here is a little review of what's going on during this time the Romans were occupying the land, um, making life for the Jews extremely hard. Um, with taxation and oppression, um, there had been many attempts of the Jews to overpower the Romans, but every time it was crushed. In fact, in like 4 BC, around the time Jesus was born—I mean, it's BC, so he's definitely alive—there um, is a Jewish revolt against the Romans, where um, where the Romans crushed it, and they crucified over 2,000 Jews um along the major roads and high and highways sorry roads and highways so the jews are living in the suppression of death under behind and beneath the shadow of these crosses of their people being oppressed and and they they see a messiah and they're like okay jesus what you gonna do what's your game plan like you are the goat like, you are the greatest of all time. You are who we are waiting for. So what are you going to do about it? And so when uh, the, disciples are, the disciples are envisioning that the Messiah is going to, to take over the Romans and reinstate Israel and her glory. But we know Jesus is not about politics. He's about the kingdom. He's about his kingdom and the kingdom of God, which very, looks very different from political power and so when they ask jesus who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven they are not asking jesus what we think he, what we think they are asking they're actually asking jesus who's going to be your right and left-hand man who's going to rule with you they weren't looking for a place to serve they were looking for for a political position when taking over the romans and jesus doesn't respond in the way that they think because that's what jesus does he said he calls a little child to him and he places them places the child among them he said truly i tell you unless you change and become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven therefore whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me this is such an upside down kingdom jesus once again he flips the script and he brings a kid unto himself and he's like you want to be the goat got to become like this guy got to become like this little toddler i have a niece she is spectacular in every way but it's not in brawn or strength it's not in it's not in intelligence but honestly it's just in cuteness in a whole bunch of other things but many people look at toddlers as something or someone to take care of not someone to be like and so i can imagine the disciples just being super confused but also not surprised because jesus does what jesus does and he flips the script and then when reading this, two questions came to mind for me. It was, what does it mean to be childlike, and what's the difference between childlikeness and childishness? So when you hear childlikeness, what do you guys think of? This is like, call it out, please don't make me wait. Go ahead. Fun. Fun. What was the first one? Playful. Playful. Anyone else? Curious. Curious. I like it. And energetic. energetic innocent we love that anyone else come on trusting Trusting. honest Honest. rambunctious that's a good word (laughs) sat i'm just kidding (laughs) but yeah some great words honest trusting playful innocent um the word that came to mind for me was dependent kids can't do nothing without some help yeah go to the moran's house (laughs) and you will see you will see. <laughs> Childlikeness comes with a sweet dependence. They know they need help, and they know how to ask for it. Um, I love that Jesus uses this word because he's not necessarily saying like, "Hey, shrink a few feet and like take a few steps in your vocabulary." He's actually talking about like believers. He's talking about people that believe that he is the messiah they're talking about christians he's talking about christians he's talking about christ followers and so he is asking his believers his followers his disciples to to be completely dependent on him jesus says unless you change and become like little children you will never enter the kingdom there's an active choice involved in becoming like a child it's not something that you just wake up and you decide to do there is, a, there is an active change and a shift of, of making your behavior one that is not of independence, but it's of dependence. It's an active um, decision of deciding to trust Jesus and all that he is. And I believe that the biggest difference between childlikeness and childishness is this tension of independence and dependence. With childlikeness, once again, there's a deep trust, and and like I need help. Childishness is a false belief. It comes with a false belief that we can do it on our own. Maturity is not based on how independent we can be, but actually on how dependent we can be. The kingdom thing is childlike dependence because it knows that it can't do life without help. It knows that that we need a savior it knows that we need a guide it knows that we need help childlikeness is a kingdom thing because the kingdom exalts the lowly and the meek and the overlooked and those that need help this is what makes childlikeness the goat it's a recognition that my way is not better the definition of dependence is relying on another for support Followers of Jesus must have a humility and a willingness to rely on Jesus. And we'll see in verse six that Jesus takes this super seriously. He continues, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble such things must come but woe to the person through whom they come Woe! you know what i'm saying like it's like woe, jesus we were just talking about children and now you're talking about drowning like where did this shift come from like what's going on and whenever whenever i read this passage i, I immediately think of the worst of the worst i think of sex traffickers and abusers i think of crime bosses and pimps i think of corrupt politicians and terrorists i think of people like caligua and hitler and like yeah the list goes on of all these people and then i also think of the victimized i think of those whose innocence were taken too soon who had to grow up too quickly those who, who walked around hallways being bullied, those who were abandoned by a parent. I think of those who, um, who came to church and, and left because they didn't feel welcomed. I think of those who have been victimized. And then I realize that the standard is so much higher than I thought. Here I, here I put all these really terrible people in a category but then I realized that to make someone stumble or to lead someone to stumble, the standard is a lot higher, that it's a lot easier than we think. I think of um, enabling people to sin, like enabling someone to get drunk or introducing someone to porn. I think of, of giving someone the answers to tests. I think of dealing drugs. I've been in dining halls when I was in school, where I overheard um, young men talk about how they're going to get girls drunk at the next party to get them to sleep with them. I've overheard girls like begin conversations of gossip for their own gain and lead the whole conversation for their own to look good in other people's eyes while crushing somebody else. I've seen friends turn against friends and enable divorces within their friend group just so that they can win i've seen racism passed down from generation to generation for the sake of not for the sake of not valuing others this this is causing other people to stumble this is not kingdom and the thing is when i see it all i also see myself and i realize i'm not that innocent that I've been the one to start conversations of gossip, that I've been the one to slander friends and leaders behind their back, that I've been the one to do these things, to, to body shame myself and to be an example to other people that it's okay to body shame themselves. And I'm crushed by the, the realization that woe to me without Jesus. Like, woe to me because I don't want to cause other people to stumble in my own selfishness, because in my own independence, I'm fighting for a kingdom that is so costly and it costs too much. Woe to the world because of these things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. When sin entered the world, it was like the enemy poisoned a waterhole. Um, but God made good. His creation is good. Sin entered and made it evil. He introduced evil. One who introduces someone else to sin or someone else to evil is leading that person to a poisoned waterhole. Many believe that independence is choosing their own way, that independence is freedom. That abiding by one's own spiritual truth is freedom. However, slavery and dependence on the world masquerades itself as freedom. Independence from God is false freedom. To be independent from God is to be dependent on the world. We're not choosing independence from God. We're just choosing a worse slave master humanity without christ at the center is demonic in nature we need jesus to root us back we need jesus to keep us whole we need jesus to keep us from from hurting each other because when we the reality is if we're not operating in the kingdom laws we're operating for our own selfish gain and there's always a loser Humanity without dependence on Christ is humanity that is doing what's right in their own eyes. And that, quite frankly, is pretty terrifying. What does this mean to be dependent on the world? It's allowing the world and its agendas to, to give us our ideas. It's allowing the world to be our source of joy. It's allowing our world to define what success is. It's, a, it's allowing the world to tell us what to put our hope in. It is being dependent on what the world deems worthy of our time, of our money, of our lives. The world, once again, is not a loving caretaker. The world is a sadistic slave master. The world and its pleasures lead to sin and death, and when we allow the world to define things for us, we get trapped and we stumble, and we also lead those around us to stumble. We buy into the narrative that we're hearing all around us We begin to purchase the product that the world is promoting and we begin to allow it to frame the advice that we give and the way that we present truth. Any truth that doesn't include Christ is not truth, it's a lie. We can't allow the world to define what we say is true and the advice that we give, it's not right. It's leading people astray. Woe indeed, woe indeed to the world, and woe to those that embrace the gospel that the world promotes. Jesus goes on to say, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet, and to be thrown into eternal fire, and it is better... and." and if your eye causes you to stumble gouge it out and throw it away it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into fire into the fire of hell it's a pretty intense passage um when preparing for this i was like jesus this is intense like how how am i supposed to how am i supposed to share this But he said it, and so we're talking about it. Jesus takes sin really seriously. I was talking with a young lady in Caiapha, and um, she was doing what we like to do in Caiapha, which is honor people behind people's back. We don't gossip behind people's back. We honor people behind their back. That is something that we value. Um, And she said that her friend said Um, she quoted her and said if only people would hurt would hate what hurts them if only people would hate what hurts them usually sin is pretty attractive it lures you in sometimes it even looks innocent and then you're like Ooh, that bit like that stung a little bit but it takes you further than you want to go it keeps you longer than you want to stay and it costs you more than you want to pay and when you read what jesus says we question jesus couldn't possibly mean like to maim ourselves like he couldn't possibly mean like okay let me like cut off my hand and he's not saying that because if we were to cut off our hands we could still sin with our feet If we cut off our feet we could still sin with our eyes cut off and we've gouged out our eyeballs i can still gossip if i were to cut off my tongue i could still sin with my thoughts it's endless like we would not be alive but there needs to be a transformation of the heart it all begins with the heart thoughts overflow from the heart it all begins with the heart in proverbs 4 it says above all else guard your heart for everything you do flows from it the heart is the root of all and this is why we need Jesus (laughs) like this is just one of the few reasons why we need Jesus we need Jesus a lot because um, Jesus removes the heart of stone, the hardened heart, and gives us a soft heart, a heart of flesh. He makes us new creations, and and what Jesus is saying in this passage is that we need to get violent with our sin. We need to get violent with the things that entangle us. We need to get more aggressive with the things that that hurt us, because in the end game, it's going to hurt us more than like it's going to hurt us more than we think it will. So what does this look like? If you struggle with gossip, maybe avoid a friend that invites you into gossiping. If you struggle with porn, maybe it's time to get a flip phone. If you struggle with masturbation, take the door off your room. If you struggle with cheating on schoolwork, then take exams in front of your, test, in front of your friends so you don't cheat on your online test. If you struggle with comparison, delete your Instagram. If you're having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend, break up. If you're addicted to schoolwork and grades, have a curfew of not doing work past 6 p.m. If you struggle with gluttony, stop going to buffets. I had to do this in college. All through uh, high school and college, I struggled with binge eating and gluttony. And so I made a rule I'm not going to go to buffets. Even if my friends were like, hey, you want to go to Sushi Village? There wasn't a Sushi Village in my town, but I would have said no. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you struggle with unforgiveness, it's time to repent and move on, to release them of that record. If you, <laughs> if you want someone else's body when you're at the gym, maybe it's time to stop going to UREC and start doing at-home workouts. If you struggle with binge-watching Netflix, maybe delete your subscription. The list goes on and on and on. It's time to, to hate what hurts us. The reality of sin is is that you're going to kill it or it's going to kill you it's going to kill your peace it's going to steal your joy it's going to destroy your hope and sin is sin no matter how sparkly or shiny or pretty or alluring it looks it is just like a hook in a lake shiny sparkling but it leads to death but i like fishing because i like eating fish all right it gives us an illusion that our independence from god is, some, is somewhat better but it's just it's not it's not better as we continue on in matthew 10 it says see that you do not despise one of these little ones for i tell you what their angel uh, that their are angels in heaven that always see the face of my father and what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that do not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. I am so thankful that Jesus went into this parable because it would feel pretty intense if I were to just... All right, it's time to respond after all of that. But he brings in this parable about this lost sheep. And it's because he loves us and we'll see why, or we'll see how he loves us. (sighs) Because the sheep that wandered away is going to die, that is the reason why Jesus goes into this story. We are the sheep. If we wander away from his pasture, from his flock, like, the sheep's not going to make it. We're not going to make it. Sheep are dumb. Like, dumb. <laughs> they're cute, but dumb. Um, sheep cannot take care of themselves. If they, um, if they wander into water, they drown because their fleece is too heavy. Um, they can't fend for themselves and their prey. David, in the Bible, he was a shepherd, and he killed a bear and a lion. Like, sheep... I don't know about i don't i wouldn't want to floss with that kind of wool in my teeth but somehow it's just really attractive for big scary animals with teeth but sheep are (laughs) their prey (laughs) Uh, i read an article on how to take care of sheep because that's what you do when you sermon prep you read articles about stuff and um, it said that you can leave a sheep alone for eight hours But even that's risky to leave the sheep alone for eight hours because they could get sick. They could be eaten by something. They could get caught in a fence. Sheep are dumb. You can't leave them for eight hours. They are children. They are children. Um, They don't make it when they're alone. The reason why Jesus goes in from these intense realities um, of sin into the story is because sheep will die if they're not brought back. If it continues to be independent from the shepherd, it will die. It is not out of maliciousness or control that Jesus says these things. From the earlier parts but it's out of unconditional love that he is a good shepherd and that he wants to bring us home Jesus says in the same way your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish this is the heart of the father he loves and loves extravagantly he created life he knows what life is supposed to be Um, he knows what it looks like in its fullness Jesus doesn't talk about these things because he wants to withhold good from our lives, but he knows how good life can be without these things. I guarantee that the sin that we continue to commit are not even as good as what we think. When we think about it, after watching porn or sleeping with our boyfriend or girlfriend, how do we feel about it? After smoking dope and missing classes, how do we feel about it? After watching eight hours of Netflix when we had an assignment, how did we feel about it? After canceling a friendship, how do we feel about it? After purging, how do we feel about it? We know deep down that it's not good, that it's not adding to our lives, it's actually destroying our lives. And Jesus is offering us an invitation to break free from these things. He's offering us life and life to the full. God the Father sent Jesus, his son, as the shepherd. Jesus is the one that left the throne, that he wrapped himself in flesh and lived among us so that the lost sheep would be found, that we would be found, that we would be saved. God created us for pleasure. He created us for joy. He created us for fun. It is such a lie from the enemy that God's a killjoy, that the Christian life is is stuck up and and it doesn't let you live life to the full it is such a lie god created life he created taste buds so that we can enjoy food he he made he created us for laughter and he created creation that we can look out and enjoy it he created the male and female anatomy for orgasm you think a killjoy god would create orgasm Like, have you ever thought about that? He created that for us. (laughs) It is a good word. (laughs) All of these things, all of these things that we hold on to are crap. They're absolute garbage in comparison to the true joy, to the true peace, to the true relationship that we can have with Jesus Christ. Wow, I think I lost a few of you, but that's okay. I feel like some of that is speaking to your hearts, oh okay. <laughs> well. OK. The Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, is waiting for us to choose him. To choose life in its fullness. He meets us with so much love and compassion, and he meets us with so much grace and restoration. It doesn't matter what we've done it doesn't matter what our past looks like and jesus is not waiting to punish us to to yell at us to um to put us in time out or shame us he's actually inviting us to the table he's inviting you to the table of communion he's inviting you to the table of communion and fellowship where his blood was spilled out for the forgiveness of sins to make us clean He's inviting us to the table of adoption where he gives us a new name that we are no longer called what we were in the past. He's inviting us to a table of priesthood where he rewrites our history and he gives us us a future. There is so much rejoicing over the one that comes home. There is so much restoration. Jesus goes after the one. He's coming after me. He's coming after you. He goes after us individually, and he lifts us up from the pit. And he puts us joyfully over his shoulders, being like, hey, welcome home. Like, let's bring you back in. I believe that God restores virginity. I believe that God redeems time apart. I believe that he removes the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. I believe that he gives us eternal pleasures opposed to temporary ones. I believe that this is what our God does, that he takes broken things and makes them whole. Um, For closing tonight, if Julia could come up and play. We're going to take a few minutes to respond. Um, As you came in, there are a few cards on your chair. And maybe there's something that came to mind that you're struggling with. Maybe the Holy Spirit brought something to mind that you're like man god i've been trying and trying but i can't let this go like what would my life look like without it and i want you to to write that thing down and i want you to give it to jesus and um this trash can has some gum at the bottom of it um when you're when you're ready and done with responding Um, these are the questions that you're going to answer. What is something that you need to cut out of your life and what are you going to do in response? When you've written these things down and when you're ready to surrender them, tear it up and come up and throw it in the trash can. Our God is a God that does not withhold good from us. He is such a good father. He is such a good shepherd. He calls to us. He loves us. He brings us unto himself. And so before you start writing, I'm actually gonna ask, well, also it's okay if you start writing, um, that you get up and move. I believe that there's something about moving that brings us to a place of response. Um, And so uh, Mitchell, if you could hit the lights. I'm just gonna ask all you guys to stand right now. And you can pace, you can kneel, you can sit in a different chair. There's just something about shifting spaces. And we're just going to take some time and ask the Lord, Lord, what are you calling me to get rid of? What are you asking me to get rid of? Jesus, we just ask that you would meet us in this moment. God, that as we respond to you, as we open ourselves up to you, God, that that we would see that you give life and life to the full. God I pray that you'd bring even the smallest things to mind that you're asking us to get rid of. God that that we would realize that you are enough for us, Jesus. That you are worth it. You are faithful Jesus. Thank you Lord.